0: in this series that I've called scandalous grace um, this issue is so important and so profound and uh, so I think oftentimes misunderstood and it's so important for me to get this right for us Um, I I don't want to go into it of my own accord Uh, and so Will you allow me the honor, again, of just praying for myself before I get into this thing called grace? Because it is a profound mystery that's, um, that I need some help with in teaching. So let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come together corporately together and worship you and open up your word, which is alive and active. And you are alert and active watching over your word to perform it. So do that in our midst right now. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would give us ears to hear what it is you have to say and that you would give me words to speak. And Father, I ask for the grace to preach your word and to make known the unexplainable mystery of Christ and to make that mystery plain. Father, give us an understanding, not just in our head, but in our heart, in the, our very souls of what grace is and the scandal of it in our lives. For that, Father, we'll give you thanks. In your name I pray, Amen. I want to recap last week and the week before just to give us a, to make sure we're all on the same page, because this is so important. Did you realize? that you can follow Jesus and still miss grace. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, not just for salvation, certainly, but in the context of their life. See, here's what I know, that many people come to church all the while canceling the benefit of grace. And this is why people can be in church and even attached to God but live their whole lives in defeat, becoming more religious than ever before. Because you can be in church and become religious and miss grace. And this is why I'm convinced so many people, young people grow up in church and when they get older, walk away from the church because what they've experienced has been religion and behavioral modification, but not grace. And religion will always leave you short. So we need to be careful that we don't fail to obtain the grace of God. And not only that, but we're told in 2 Peter, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace is something that we need to grow into. Not just the knowledge of grace, but actually grow in the experience and the utilization of grace. See, it's one thing to know about grace, its origination, where it's from, what it is, how it's accessed. But it's another thing entirely to grow in the experience and the utilization of grace in our life. But grace does in, through, over, and around. See, grace is not just something that we know about. Grace is an atmosphere in which we live. Ephesians 2.8 says that grace is critical to get us into heaven. Ephesians 2.8 says that you're saved by grace through faith. But grace is also important not just to get us to heaven, but to get heaven to us. And so we need to grow in grace. See, grace is that thing that God does for us, independent of us. And and, and erroneously, I think sometimes we believe the opposite. We believe that, that God does for us because we. Like, because I, since I, when I, God does for me. That's not grace, that's religion. And that's why so many people work so hard and so long to try to do, become, exist, be, so that God will on their behalf. You can never do enough. If you could, we would get to that point and say, I'm done, I'm checking out. Grace is that thing that God does for us. If God did for us because we, then God would do for us dependent on us. But God does for us, independent of us, that's grace. And just to remind ourselves, grace is favor. And it's favor that comes from a superior to an inferior. And the thing we have to understand right off the bat is that grace always flows down and never flows up. I cannot be grace filled towards God because I am not God's superior. I am his inferior and grace always flows from the superior to the inferior. So the first thing I have to realize in accessing grace is that I am the inferior to God. It means he's the boss. Do you understand? Grace is the unmerited favor and blessing, it means I can't earn it and I don't deserve it. It's the inexhaustible supply means it will never run out. It's the inexhaustible supply where God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And here's the thing, the moment we try to deserve it or haven't received it, to repay it, we nullify it. The moment we put ourselves in the position to say, God, I will do and I will behave so that you will, we nullify grace or having received the unmerited and undeserved favor of God to think I can repay God for it out of gratitude, nullifies it as well. You can't repay this. And so the only right response is to receive it and be joyful about it. So we're all on the same page so far. understand this. This is super important. Grace is greatest when it's matched with scandal. Just let that sink in. Grace is greatest when it's matched with scandal. See, here's, here's part of our problem. A lot of church folk come to church to try to mitigate the scandal of their life. You understand what I'm saying? And then we get around each other and we try to convince each other that we're really not that scandalous. And we look at each other and think, okay, compared to Heather, I'm not that bad. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Like, like, and, and, and so we try to mitigate, we try to limit how scandalous our lives really are, especially our past. We don't want to be known about because it's so scandalous. And so we get around each other and try to make sure people don't understand how scandalous we are. And the moment we do that, we negate it because grace is most profound when scandal is profound. If you believe that you don't need God's grace, guess what? You won't receive God's grace. And if you are good enough not to be scandalous, you have just stepped outside of the realm of grace. Do you understand? Okay, so I will turn this bus around and start all over if we're not on the same page at this point. We with me so far? Yes. Now, I don't know all your stories, but I know some of your stories, and I will give testimony about how scandalous your lives are. <laughs> and so I want to share with us today one of the greatest prayers, a template for those of us who need grace. And it's found in the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles is one of those books that doesn't get a lot of press. And a, lot, a lot of people spend a time in Chronicles. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, we read of this prayer. And the Bible says, And Jabez, that was the guy's name, called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. That's the prayer. And this prayer is so profound. I want to unpack it for us. If you're a person in need of grace, God's undeserved and unmerited an supply of favor, this is a prayer you need to know and what's behind it. But before we get to it, I need to give some background. First Chronicles 4, in this portion of it, is just a list of names. Just a name after, name after name after name after name. There's not a lot of info. We're not told a lot about the people listed in these names. It's just a list of names. It seems as though there's nothing significant about these people whose names are listed here. It's just a list of names. If they were significant, we'd have some info about them, right? It's just a list of names. Let me ask you this Have you ever felt like your life is just a list of names? Not significant. There, there, there's nothing grandiose to report. You're just one of the names that happen to be on this earth. They're like, there's, have you ever felt like there's just nothing spectacular about me, but at least there's nothing tragic either. I'm just right in the middle of the road. Like I'm just getting along to go along. I would rather settle for mediocrity than have tragedy. So at least, uh, I mean, if I'm nothing, I might not be great, but I'm not real bad. I'm just there. You ever been there? There. This prayer comes from a man. Who would not settle for being the shadows of the margins of life anymore? He he said, I am not gonna settle for being in the shadows of the sidelines while life just goes by. So, before we get to verse 10 in 1 Chronicles 4, guess what we get to? Verse 9. Can I just stop for a moment? I don't know what has happened. It's like you believe the governor told you not to talk in church. There's a lot of other church you can go to or someone will lecture at you. Let, let's have a little bit of give and take here. You understand what I'm saying? You know the answer to this. Before we get to verse 10, what do we have? See how smart you are right there, boom. So watch this. Now Jabez, that's the guy's name. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother called him Jabez saying, because I bore him in pain. Don't miss what's happening here. This prayer was coming from a man whose life was full of pain. From day one, his mama called him pain. You are painful. You're a pain in my, you. His name literally means he will cause pain. It's almost a prophecy over his life that the day he was born, his mother said, you are a pain and you will only cause pain. Can you imagine that being your name? Since birth, every time someone called his name, every time someone wrote his name, every time he wrote his own name, it was pain, it was pain, it was pain. Every relationship he got into, someone got into a relationship with pain. Every business adventure he ventured into was a business adventure of pain. Every decision, every goal, every dream was a decision, goal, and dream of pain. I love the fact that Jabez did not try to hide how messed up his life was. This was his name. He did not pretend that he deserved to be blessed. This was his name. Everywhere he went, every time someone wanted to talk to him, they first addressed him by the pain that was his life. He couldn't get away from it. Have you ever had a title you couldn't get away from? Where you are known more by your past than you are your destiny? When you have that thing back there that you try to run out from, uh, away from and it always follows you. Have you ever been there? Where you try to outrun your title and you never can? Where you are known by what you have done wrong but by never by what you have done right? You ever been there? Pain, pain, pain. I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, in so many other places in scripture, God changed people's names. The father of his family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God took Jacob and changed his name to, any of you know, Israel, like the identification of his very people. God took Simon and said, Simon, you are the rock on which I will build my church and change his name to what? Peter. God took Saul, the persecutor of his church, and he met him on his road to Damascus and changed Saul's name to what? Paul. Over and over and over, God changes names, And there's no doubt some of you, he has changed your very identity. It's as if he has changed your name. But Jabez remains Jabez. And for us, that is good news because here's the thing. If you live in pain, the Bible has good news for you because greater your deficiency is greater God's grace. The greater your deficiency, the greater your pain, the greater is God's grace for you. And if your life is one of those lives in pain right now of deficiency, don't deny it and pretend like it doesn't exist. See, most of us who are in pain, most of us who are in need, most of us who are realizing our own insufficiency, we miss grace because we downplay our, our pain and we downplay our need and we downplay our insufficiency as if it doesn't exist. And here's the thing, if we want to act as though we don't need grace, we will nullify God's given it to us. So the best thing we can do, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. To realize and embrace that part of it. The best thing that Jabez did at this point was embrace the reality of who he was. So here's the question. Right up front, in this moment in your life are you downplaying your need are you downplaying your pain are you downplaying your own insufficiency of life in an effort to make yourself feel better about who you are and where you are because if you are you nullify the opportunity for grace do you understand you tracking with me so far Paul said, I will glory in my weakness because it's in my weakness that your strength is profound. So the first thing that we have to do in the acquisition of grace by God's hand on our lives is to acknowledge our pain, is to acknowledge our need, is to acknowledge our own insufficiency. And then look at this prayer. This prayer is contingent upon grace. Let's look at what it says, First Chronicles 4.10. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. That word oh is this, this soul groaning, oh, oh God, that you would bless me indeed. Literally, that you would give me favor. Notice something about this verse. There's no specific request except for grace. That's the request. He says, in essence, God, I leave it up to you to determine your blessing for me. There's not a list. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I need. It's God, I want your grace. And that will be enough. See, Jabez knew what we would come to understand in the book of Ephesians. No ear has heard. No eye has seen. No mind has of what God has for those. He knew what is written in Isaiah 55, that my ways, says God, are higher than your ways. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Jabez was saying, I trust your favor more than I trust my desire. Have you ever wanted something so bad you could taste it? You wake up thinking about it, you go out your day, it's on your mind, you go to sleep, dreaming it. have you ever wanted something so bad you could taste it? Here's the problem, when that becomes our request rather than God's grace. Jabez was content to know God's grace is bigger than his desire. Oh, that you would bless me. This prayer was a prayer of reliance on God's grace. And there was nothing about Jabez's life that would merit God's favor. It's a life of pain. His life was a life of pain, not just pain in his own life, but a life of pain that he caused in others' lives. There was nothing about his life that would merit God's blessing. There was nothing about his life that would merit God's favor. But remember what grace is. It's the unmerited favor. And so you have a life not worthy of favor of God asking for the favor of God. Watch what happens. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. The second part of that, <coughs> and enlarge my territory. God, I do want you to enlarge my territory. This is the request for God to oversee and determine abundance. He does want abundance in life. There ain't nothing wrong with that. And this is a request for God to oversee it and to determine it. In other words, he's saying, God, I don't want my limited allocation in this world. I want you to expand my territory. I want abundance. That's what he's saying. Now, notice though, this is a prayer of reliance rather than demand. He's relying on God's grace for what that abundance will be. It's reliance, not demand. In other words, He says, I desire the expansion of my boundaries, but I rely on your determination of that territory. See, here's why oftentimes we pray ourselves out of blessing. Oftentimes we pray ourselves out of the blessing that God would give. Because here's what happens. We want the blessing more than the blessor. And we say, God, I want this and I want this. I want you to do this. I want you to move in this way. And God says, look, if you would just trust my grace, I have so much more planned for you. Don't pray yourself out of the blessing that I would bestow upon you. Let me oversee the scope of the territory that I've desired for your life. And what Jabez is saying here, he's saying that I will be content with the territory, God, that you give me. But I will not be satisfied with the way pain has limited my boundaries in my life. How many of us know? that there have been times in our lives and we're probably in some of those moments right now where our own pain that we've caused in our own life has limited our territory. Look at your finances and your credit card bills. You want to talk about limited territory? Because your pain has limited your territory. You understand? Was this getting too personal? Want to back off a little bit? How about some of those relationships you got into? that limited your territory and caused nothing but pain. And so he said, God, I will submit to the boundaries that you've established for me, but free me from the boundaries that I put on myself because of my own pain. You understand that? Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. He's saying, I don't just want the stuff from your hand. I want your hand because he says this, let your hand be with me. I don't want the expansion territory without your hand. I don't want the stuff from your hand. I want your hand. He says, I want you. This is the attitude of prayer that seeks God, not just what God can give. See, oftentimes we we continue to press God and pray ourselves out of what he would bless us with. Because oftentimes we want the blessing more than we want the blessor. And we have to be very careful. And so Jabez says, God, I don't want the stuff from you. I want you. See, how many of us know that we're more than than the stuff that we own, right? Like I'm more than the stuff I own. I mean, I own stuff, but I'm more than the stuff I own. If I believe that I am the stuff I own, then what that means is that the less I own, the less I am. And that's just not accurate. It also means that the more I own, the more I am. That isn't accurate either. See, our self-worth isn't determined by our net worth. But oftentimes, oftentimes, we want the stuff of God rather than God. God is more than his stuff. And he wants us to desire him, not his stuff. And so let your hand be with me because I know that where your hand is, your eye will be. Where your hand is, your presence will be. Father, keep your hand with me. Let me not walk outside your grass. Let me not walk beyond your reach. God, I don't want the stuff that you have more than I want you. I want your hand. Do you understand? You tracking with me so far? I feel like I'm working hard right now. And I feel like you're listening easy. Don't listen easy to this. I, I, was, I was looking in my Bible and I came to the book of Acts where it said, and God's hand was with them. And the thing I noticed about that, when, and whenever God's hand is with somebody, it's just not for their benefit and their blessing. It's for the expansion of the kingdom in the book of Acts. In Acts 11, it says, God's hand was with him, and people came to faith. Here's what I know. That when God's hand is with you, it's just not for your benefits, for the expansion of the kingdom, and so people come to faith. And everywhere God's hand was in Scripture, people came to faith. So here's the thing. When you ask for God's hand to be with you, it's not just for your comfort. Matter of fact, it's rarely for your comfort. It is always for the expansion of this invisible kingdom that become visible in the world. All oh, that your hand would be with me. This is the prayer of Grace. Oh, Father, that you would bless me indeed because I know your grace is greater than my desire. That your hand would be with me and that you'd keep me from evil, that I'd be free from pain. Look at what it says. That you would keep me from evil, that it may not cause pain, that you would keep me from evil, that I'd be free from pain. He's saying, keep me from evil and keep me from the evil one. It's exactly what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one as well as evil. He's saying, keep me from evil that causes me pain and keep me from causing pain to others by the evil in my life. Because don't you know, we've experienced both. We've experienced pain in our lives by the evil of our own inclinations. And we've experienced causing other people pain because evil in our life, right? Here's what I know. Some of us, in the darkness of the night, the sleeplessness, even though the pillow is soft, are haunted by the pain that we have caused others because of the evil in our lives. Right? Right? And Jabez is saying, God, I want to be in right relationship with you. Keep me from evil from evil in my own life that causes me pain and from evil in my life that causes other people pain. Keep me free from the evil that pain, the pain that evil brings and keep me free from the pain that I bring on others because of my evil. Now remember the name Jabez. He just praised this prayer. Keep me from evil that i be free from pain. What is his name? His name is pain. His name is pain. And he prays, God, keep me from evil that I would not cause pain. Keep me from evil that I would be free from pain. In other words, he's saying, God, keep me from the pain of my past that I would be free of it. Let my history not determine my destiny. That's what he's saying. How many of us know that oftentimes others keep us tied to our history? And the pain of it. And God offers us the opportunity by his grace to walk into his destiny. No longer tied to our history. Did you know that grace is the pathway to destiny? Grace is the pathway to God's future for your life. See, when we walk in the favor and blessing of God, you walk into his destiny for you. However, when we try to earn God's favor religiously, it forever ties us to our history. Here's why. Because that's what religion does. It always ties you to the failures of your past. When we try to be good, it's always in reference to how bad we've been. Do you understand? How do you know that you are now being good? Because you marry it to the failure of your past. And so when we try religiously to be good, it keeps us forever tied to the failure of our history. When we try to be religious, it's always in light of how irreligious we've been. So when I try to be religious in order to earn God's favor, it keeps me tied to my irreligiosity of my history. And you can never get to the destiny of God apart from the grace of God, because to get apart from the grace of God ties you to religiosity, and religiosity always ties you to your history. Did you follow me? That was good stuff right there. I'm just saying. I'm saying. And grace is the only thing that leads you to your destiny because grace is the only thing that unmerited of your behavior enables God's favor to be on your life apart from your history. And this is why so many people never get free from their past. And they get in church and get more religious than ever before, never being able to be free from their past. Still tied to it. Because regardless of how hard they try to be good and how religious they try to become, they're always tied to their failure because your goodness and your religiosity is always tied to the failure of your history. Grace is the only thing that will lead you to your destiny. So Jabez prays. Understanding who he is. Oh, that you would bless me indeed that you would enlarge my territory, let your hand be with me, keep me from evil, that i be free from pain. What was the result of that prayer? God said, all right. That's it. He's like, done. So God granted him what he requested. Why? Not because Jabez was perfect. Not because Jabez was good. God never changed his name. He was still the man of pain, in pain. It didn't change. Now, the Bible does say in verse 9 that he was more honorable than his brothers. And what that does mean in one hand is that he didn't live in blatant, unrepentant sin irregardless of God. As Bono says, you plant a demon seed, you raise a flower of fire. So it's not that he was living in that unrepentant sin, but it also means this. that he was honored more than his brothers. Why would he be honored more than his brothers? Because he trusted in God's grace, not in his behavior. You want to be honored more than others? Trust solely in God's grace, not on your behavior. And God grants it now. There are two things that are going to disqualify you from this prayer. One is believing that you don't need God. If you believe that you don't need God, you will vacate the opportunity to be Filled by his grace. So, my suggestion is in this moment, confess your sin and confess the pain of your spiritual failure and admit you need his life to cover your life. Confess your sin and seek his forgiveness right up front because only those with a relationship with Jesus have access to the truth behind his prayer. The other thing that will disqualify you from this prayer is believing you can be good enough for God to bless you. The moment you believe, God, I have done, so you must, you make God indebted to you. And the moment you believe that you are good enough for God to bless, the moment God, that is the moment you believe God owes you, that is pride, and pride always disqualifies you from grace. Now, it is true. God has given us his word. He says what he means, and he means what he says. And not a drop of this word will go unfulfilled. And so if God said he would do something, and you do what he says to do, he's got to do it. But we don't come to him and say, God, you said it. You owe it to me. He doesn't owe us a darn thing. Or we say, God, you said it, and I'm counting on you by your grace to do what you said. You understand? You tracking with me? And so, why would God look upon us with this favor and give us his grace? I, I'm going to ask, Ben, you need to come up? Because I could just now start preaching a message that'll take me about an hour and a half to get through. Uh, and so, this is, Robbie, go get the guys and have them come up here. I, I just want to share with you why God would put us in the position to experience his undeserted, unmerited favor, irregardless of us. Do you want to know why? So, when God was surveying the world and looking for the one life through which to birth the incarnation of God himself, this looking for one woman who would be the carrier of, of the incarnate God he looked all over the world, and he found, who did he find? Mary, right? Now, how special do you think Mary must have been? Very, very Mary? Yeah, there's something about Mary. There was just this. But well, I haven't seen that movie. you seen that movie? You're going to hell if you've seen that movie. Just kidding. No, now listen now. Out of all the world, this one girl named Mary. And she was so special and so unique. Now, all my Catholic brothers and sisters are going to be like, yeah, no, that's what we've always said. You, you know, Christian people that have never got this. But watch, look at what the Bible says. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are, what? Highly favored, the Lord is with you. That word, highly favored, means she was so special. This is what it literally means. She was God's favorite. Favorite. That's what it means. Would any of us deny that? Could any of you women qualify to be Mary and bear the Son of God? No. No. So we understand how favored she was. It's God's favorite. Would any of us deny that? If anybody would deserve, if we could use that term, God's blessing, it would be this one, right? Up to this point, that's the only place in all the scriptures this word is used in that way. She was God's favorite. Well, duh. But then something happened. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in communicating God's heart to his people, of his people, for his people, wrote Ephesians, what we know as chapter 1, verse 6. The only other place in all of Scripture that this word is used in the same way, God's favorite, Ephesians 1 6. Praise to the glory of his what? His grace. By which? By what? By his grace. He has made us accepted in the beloved by his grace. The same word, God's favorite, spoken over you, spoken over me because of my relationship with Jesus. I am now declared as Mary, the mother of Jesus, was God's favorite. The only other place in all of scripture That this word is used in the same way as the favorite woman who bore the son of God in the flesh is spoken over you and is spoken over me that I and you am now God's favorite. That's why God answers prayers like this. You are his favorite. Did you know that you are God's favorite? If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are God's favorite. Did you know that? Let that sink in. That you are God's favorite. And you have been made His favorite by His grace, not by your behavior. The reason why God will answer this prayer in your life, because you are His favorite. Now, understand this. There's a two sides to that coin because if you are God's favorite and someone else has a relationship with Jesus, it means they are God's favorite. How are you doing treating them as God's favorite? How does it change our relationships with each other if each other are God's favorite? How does it change how we post about people? How does it change our attitude about people? How does it change our interactions with each other? Whether they look like us or not, whether they talk like us or not, whether they're our next-door neighbors or around the globe, how does it change those who are also God's favorite? You been treating them that way? If you are married to God's favorite, how does that change how you treat them? If you have bore the child that is God's favorite, do you see how profound grace is? Do you see how earth-shattering, mind-blowing, numbing the scandal of grace is? Can you imagine being God's favorite? Not because you're good, but because of how scandalous grace is. Can you imagine being his favorite? If you believed that you were God's favorite, it would change the confidence that you had. You would really therefore then believe that God really does work all things together for your good. If you believe that you were his favorite. If you really believed that you were his favorite, you would have confidence that nothing in all creation, not in your past, not in your future, could separate you from the love of God. If you believed you were his favorite, if you believed you were his favorite, you would literally pray with rejoicing and thanksgiving and confidence before the throne of grace if you believed you were his favorite. Imagine the joy that you would attack each day. Imagine the confidence with which you would go after each day, knowing that you are God's favorite. (laughs) Imagine going into every difficulty that you face, knowing that you're going into that difficulty as the favorite one of God. Do you see how the scandal of grace changes everything? We can't think for just a moment. You went through college, you graduated in COVID, never got to walk, all kinds of auditions you're supposed to go through for Broadway, all kinds of commercial stuff. Never got to see the fruition of that, did you? Not yet. So you're delivering pizzas. You know it. Right? Little Caesars and Reedley, come (laughs) by. I want you to know that you are God's favorite. Whatever that means, that you go into your future, not as one who is robbed of the opportunity for audition, but as one who is God's favorite. And he will expand your territory. It changes everything. So here's my challenge, every morning wake up I mean, I mean, I hope you wake up every morning. But but honestly, if you don't wake up, you're better off than here anyway, right? So, if you wake up in the morning, pray, oh Father, bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, let Your hand be with me, and keep me from evil that I be free from pain, and pray it knowing that you are God's favorite. And as his favorite, you no longer have to earn his blessing. And as God's favorite, you no longer have to beg for his favor. And as God's favorite, you no longer have to settle for the scraps from his table. You're his favorite. This kind of grace is scandalous. And I love it. And I love him for it. Pray with me. Almighty God, the mysteries of Christ are too profound to understand. Your grace is... It's so different than anything else we've ever experienced in this world. It's too difficult to grasp. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and make the unsearchable riches of Christ plain to us? Would you remind us of how you see us, that we not earn your favor, but we admit who we are. Coming before your throne in humility and repentance and asking you for grace, that not only covers our history, but pulls us into our destiny. Would you hear from our lips as you heard from Jabez? Oh, God, that you would bless us indeed. Oh, God, that you would enlarge our territory. Oh, God, that you would keep your hand with me. And that you would keep me from evil, that I'd be free from pain. Oh, God, overwhelm us and amaze us by the scandal of your grace. Amen.